uh, his letter to the Ephesians. And so today our theme is a crash course in experiencing God's love, Christ's love. A crash course in experiencing the love of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21 as we explore this particular passage. I wonder if any of you remember an old movie from about 15 years ago called The Bucket List. Remember that movie? Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's the story of two men played by Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. They've both been diagnosed with terminal cancer and they're thrown together kind of by, by destiny and they're very different kinds of men but they share a common passion and that is to use the time that they have left You know, before they kick the bucket, if you will, they have a set of things that they want to accomplish. And so they make a bucket list. They're going to go skydiving. They're going to climb the pyramids. They're going to drive race cars. They're going to do all kinds of other things. But along the course of their many adventures, they learn about many of the simple things that really matter most. And so that just made me think about this. How about you? Do you you have a bucket list? Do you have one? Are there some things, maybe some really big things, maybe some smaller things that you want to complete before you finish the race? You know, it's clear to me from reading his story that the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to the Ephesians that we're currently studying, I think he likely had a bucket list. Now, I don't know if he kept it literally the way that, that we might, but there were certain things, certain things that he wanted to accomplish. He was absolutely bent on doing before his time was up. And we could say that all of the things on Paul's list fall really under one, underneath one big headline, and that would be sharing the gospel, the good news of God's grace. That was what Paul was all about. Paul believed that that was the greatest thing that he could do with his remaining time in this world, the remaining time that he had left, was to share that good news with others. Now, if you know anything about Paul, that you know he had whole seasons of his life in which he had completely rejected, rejected the way of Jesus and he lived for something else completely. But as he looked kind of down the final stretch, Paul had a set of things that he was hopeful of completing in order to fulfill the command of Jesus and to help more and more people discover the grace of God and the wonders of God. So in this section of Ephesians that we're going to look at this morning, Paul shares a, a prayer. And this prayer is focused on the love of God. The love of God as defined by the power of God and the glory of God. And his prayer begins with the relationship between knowing and growing in the love of God within the Christian community that is called the church. And so our big idea for today, if you don't take anything else home, take home this one big idea, and that is this, that God's love in Jesus Christ surpasses knowledge. But it's also the root and the foundation of our life within his church. One writer, uh, one scholar calls Paul's prayer here a prayer for the impossible, 
prayer for the impossible. And I think that's a really good description. Now, you might remember, if you've been here for a while, you might remember that this is the second time that Paul has written out a prayer in his letter to the Ephesians. We looked at his first prayer back in chapter 1. Remember that prayer? He prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we might know God better. That was that prayer. And and so if that first prayer was for enlightenment, the second prayer that we're going to look at this morning is for enablement. If that first prayer was for knowledge, then this second one is for power. The power of the love of Christ in our lives. And so I'm going to invite you to read together with me this particular uh, prayer. And then we're going to experience just how we can experience Christ's love in two different directions. So let's read this together. The words on the screen. Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 16. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. The word of God. And so first, our experience begins as we are growing in the love of Christ. Growing in the love of Christ. As we look at this prayer it's really easy to get lost in all the details. There's a lot of words there, all right? And if you just read that, that first reading, it just, it appears to be this complex arrangement of phrases, one piled on top of another. And they all kind of lead up to that powerful summary in the last two verses. That's one way to look at it, but I want to encourage you to look at it a different way. So that I, I think if we look at it this way, we won't miss the point. I think a better way to kind of focus on this prayer is to focus on the main request right there in verse 16, where Paul prays that God's people might be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, Paul asked God to strengthen the Ephesians by the Holy Spirit on the inside so that they can fulfill God's will for them. Though this prayer has a lot of different parts and and it builds to that big climax, there is really only this one basic request. That one request, a prayer for something that all of us really desperately need pretty much on a daily basis. And that is spiritual strength. When we feel weak, prayer can be difficult or almost impossible. And in those moments, here in Ephesians 3, is a prayer that is always appropriate. You could pray this prayer for yourself. You could personalize it. It's a prayer that you could pray before you succumb to weakness. If you're on the verge of giving up, this is a great prayer to take to heart before you throw in the towel. There's that great phrase, to be strengthened with power. That means to be made powerfully strong so that you can overcome the obstacles that life sets before you. The word power is a great word. Uh, The Greek word is dunamos, and and we get a couple of great English words from it. Our word dynamic 
and our word dynamite, power, explosion. And so when we are made strong in the inner being by the Holy Spirit, God will give us power, dynamic, dynamite power to overcome our own unbelief, our own weakness. He'll give us power to rise above the despair. He'll give us power to leave behind the anger and bitterness that have grabbed a hold of our life. He'll grant us power to keep going when it would just be much easier to quit. This inner being, I want you to think of it kind of like the control room of your life where all the great decisions are made. And so this is the place where we most need help. And as we receive that help, we find ourselves growing, growing in the love of Christ. And so as I was thinking about this request, it occurred to me how different this prayer is from many prayers that I hear, and if I'm honest, many prayers that I might pray myself. I mean, let's face it, most of our prayers fall into two categories. Number one, pain avoidance. Lord, this hurts, make it go away right now, right? And secondly, a change of circumstances. Lord, I don't like this. I don't like this, change it please and do it quickly, right? It's very natural, very natural to pray that our pain would stop and that our circumstances would improve. The problem is that these two categories can overwhelm all of our other prayers so that we really never pray for anything else. And yet in his prayer, Paul never mentions anything remotely related to either of those categories I just mentioned. And by the way, let's remember where Paul was when he wrote Ephesians. Where was he? He was in prison. He was in jail in Rome. And yet he never mentions that fact until almost the end of his letter to the Ephesians. It's not until the end of chapter six that he mentions anything about being in prison. And even there, his request is not, pray that I'll get out of here and get out of here soon. That's not what he prays. He says, please pray that I will be bold for Christ, even though I'm in chains. You see, God's love is never measured by our comfort. You know, when we're comfortable, we think, oh, God loves me. And when we're uncomfortable, we think, oh, God's bad at me. But those are just feelings that come and go. And our faith has to be rooted in the truth. And that is that God's power is always available if we ask for it. So the prayer is not, Lord, take away all of the bad stuff. But instead, Lord, give me stronger shoulders. Give me the power to carry the load. May I continue to grow in your love. That's the heart, the heart of this prayer. And everything else flows from that one basic request. The, the rest of the passage merely just reveals the results that come to us as we are strengthened by his spirit on the inside in that inner control room, as we grow in Christ's love. <clears throat> in verse 17 is one of the, first great results that Paul mentions. In the first part of 17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that word dwell, 
It's a great word. It comes, it's a compound word. That means it's two smaller words that are kind of squished together. And, and the first part of the word is down, and the second part of the word is house or home. And, and so we could say it this way. Paul is praying his prayers that Christ might be down home, that he might be down home in our hearts. That's the picture of a, of a man at home in his own house. Now, we all know the difference between a house and a home, right? A house is a building. A home is a dwelling place, right? And it's very possible for Christ to be in our heart, but not be at home there. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that I came to visit your house. All right, I show up on your front doorstep and you welcome me in the front door and you invite me in and you say, oh, Rob, make yourself at home. Well, I look around and I appreciate your home. It's pretty nice, it's neat, it's clean. I survey how well appointed everything is. What a nice house. It's great in a, in a lot of different respects, but you know what? I don't feel at home there. Even though you said, make yourself at home. I don't feel at home. I don't know where anything is, right? I don't know where the bathroom is. I don't know where the kitchen is. If I want to get some snacks. I don't know which chairs are most comfortable and which ones to avoid. I don't know how to adjust the temperature if I'm too hot or too cold. And most importantly, I don't know where the remote control is, right? (laughs) And how can a guy be at home if he doesn't know where the remote control is? Many years ago, a man by the name of Robert Munger wrote a little booklet called My Heart... Christ's home. I recommend that to you. And in his little book, he imagines the believer's heart as a, as a home with many different rooms. The heart uh, has a living room and a dining room and a bedroom and a kitchen and many closets and attic. And the premise of the book is that too many believers keep Christ in the entryway. As if to say, Jesus, I I got you in the door. Now just stay right there and don't bother with the rest of my life. But friends, the Lord wants into every room of your house, every room of my house. He wants into the kitchen and he wants into the bedroom and into the library and into the TV room and he wants to access every closet in every attic space where we have things squirreled away. See, that's what God wants. That's what the Lord wants. And as long as we keep the doors closed, he's never going to be fully at home in our heart. And we will not be growing in his love. Until Christ is at home in our heart, he will always seem like a stranger standing awkwardly in the front entry even though we've said, oh, make yourself at home. But when we fully invite him in, here's what we realize. He's not just watching me. He is with me. He's not just with me. He is in me. He's not just a visitor. Christ is at home in my life. You see, this is the first result of being strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit and by growing in the love of Christ. And that leads to our next experience in Christ. As it 
things expand more and more and we enter into knowing, not just growing in the love of Christ, but knowing the love of Christ. Look at verses 17 through 19. Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that an interesting phrase? To know the love of Christ that rises above knowledge. And so this is the second great result of being strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being. And that is that we will have a growing comprehension of the love of Christ. That, that word translated here in English as comprehend. It has the idea of grasping, of holding on to something, of seizing something. And so it, it means a growing personal knowledge and experience of the love of Christ. There's, there's a sense in which all Christians experience the love of Christ. But love has so many different dimensions. And so Paul says, I pray that you might grow in your daily, regular experience of the love of Christ. You see, no matter how far we go in our knowledge of Christ's love, we'll never come to the end of it. We will never fully comprehend. And yet our prayer is that we will continue to grow in those areas. Let, let me give you a, a great illustration. During the Great Depression, there was a man by the name of Mr. Yates, and he was running a, a sheep ranch in West Texas. Now, Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to even pay the principal and interest on his mortgage payment. And so he was in danger of losing everything, losing the ranch. And with little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others of that time, was really struggling. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would get by. How could he pay his bills? And then one day, a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and they told him that there just might be oil on his land. And they asked permission to drive, uh, to drill a, what was called a wildcat well. And Mr. Yates signed a contract. And they drilled and they drilled and they drilled until they got down to 1,115 feet where they struck an oil reserve. Not just any oil reserve, a huge oil reserve. It produced a gusher, an uncontrollable spew of oil into the sky held back by intense pressure shooting out into the air. Soon after, other wells were drilled nearby. And every one of them hit substantial qualities of quantities of oil. It seemed just to be everywhere on Mr. Yates' ranch. Both Yates and the oil men immediately recognized the significance of their find. And 30 years after that initial discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125 thousand barrels of oil a day and Mr. Yates owned it all 
He owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and the mineral rights. And yet he'd been barely scraping by. A multimillionaire living in abject poverty. What was the problem? He didn't know the oil was there. Even though he owned it. And friends, many people, even Christian people, are living in spiritual poverty. We are entitled to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, his energizing power, but we don't comprehend. We don't fully understand and seize and hold on to, grasp the full knowledge of the love of Christ. And so if we take that principle into the spiritual realm, we will understand what Paul means when he says, I want you to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Friends, we're sitting on a gusher. And we don't even know it. You know, the early church took this passage and they used it as a sign of the cross. The breadth and length stood for the crossbar on which the arms of Jesus were nailed. The height and the depth, they stood for that vertical piece in which his legs were nailed. Isn't that a fitting image? Because nowhere is the love of Christ more clearly seen than at the cross where Jesus died for me, for you. Paul says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Does that sound like a little bit or a lot? That's a lot. There's a vast reservoir of God's power available to you and to me. And we're just sitting on it. This is the whole goal of the Christian life. And so we can't water it down. The word fulfilled has the idea of being dominated by something. It, for instance, if you're filled with rage, then what's going to happen? Rage is going to dominate your life. If you're filled with love, then love dominates your life. If you're filled with joy, then joy dominates your life. If you're filled with bitterness, then bitterness will dominate your life. You see, when we are filled with God, then God himself will dominate our life. The picture is a total transformation of the human personality by virtue of the presence of God in our life. And that is an amazing thought to be filled up, to be filled up with all the fullness of God. As believers, we have been created, you understand this, to be containers of God. He desires to pour his life into ours and to fill us until we are full and overflowing. Let's suppose that you just had a big old jar of muddy water and you had a desire to see that jar become clear, clean water. What's the quickest way to do that? Take your garden hose, hook it up to a water source of clear, cool, pure water, stick it in that jar. What's going to happen as that clean water rushes in, rushes in, fills and fills and fills, it flushes out 
the muddy water. And if you leave that hose in the jar long enough, the muddy water will eventually be completely displaced by the clean, clear, pure water. And that, friends, is a parable of our life as a Christian. All of us are like that big old jar of muddy water when we come to Christ. Some of us might be a little bit muddier, a little slimier than others, but all of us are unclean when we find the Lord. And it is the work of a lifetime to replace that muddy water of our sinful inclinations with the pure water of God's holy character. This is the answer to our entrenched bitterness, our lust, our greed, our envy, our impatience, our dishonesty, our unfaithfulness, and the list could go on. Paul says that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And so our life in Christ is not about giving up stuff or stopping stuff, but it's being filled with Christ. And as that filling takes place, the junk disappears. It flows out. And no matter what we think, this is not impossible. And yet at times it seems so far out of our reach. You see, unless God intervenes, none of us can ever make this happen. You can try all you want to stop doing the bad stuff, to quit thinking the bad stuff. Try and try and guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail until you allow God to fully fill you with all of him. How can our knowledge of God's love continually increase? Well, Paul gives us the answer in the last two verses of the prayer. The answer to this prayer is not, it's not up to us. It's up to him. Now to him. That's God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And God's people say what? Amen. So be it. We agree, Paul, with your words. And so this prayer of Paul can be answered because God is able to answer it. Paul isn't saying, I hope this will happen, but I'm not really sure about it. You know, that's the kind of world we live in, right? We hope so, maybe so, might be. I hope this is going to happen. Trying for this. That's the kind of world we live in. But in contrast to that, we have this magnificent statement that God is able. He is able to do whatever it takes to answer this prayer. All we have to do is ask. I want you to pay close attention to that phrase, far more abundantly. Far more abundantly. This is kind of cool to me. Paul basically coins a Greek word here that's never been used before. He makes up a word. The word has three parts, all right? The first little part is above and beyond. The, the middle part is, is ek, out of. Above and beyond and out of. And then the last part is abundant or lots, okay? And so the word means infinitely above and beyond all human measurement. It's just this, this word that is like 
over and above everything. You know, it's, it's one thing to do what someone asks you to do, isn't it? But it's another thing to go beyond what they ask you to do. Isn't that cool? You ask somebody to do something, they go beyond. Oh, that's awesome. But you know what's really cool? If something goes infinitely beyond, way beyond what you ask them to do. And so think about that in God, in God's relationship with us. God's ability is, we could say, it's off the charts, right? It can't be measured. It's off the charts. It's so great, we can't even imagine it. And so this verse is teaching us that, that exceeding, abundant, immeasurable, infinite, the ableness of God. There are no limits to what God can do. We can't even imagine what God can do. His power is so great that we don't even know what we don't know. What does a six-year-old boy want for his birthday? Legos, bicycle, new video game that he could play repeatedly over and over and over. If he made a list, it would probably be a long list. Go well beyond that. But what if he could get more than that? What if he could get immeasurably more, abundantly more than he could ask or imagine? That's the story of a little boy named Gabriel Hurls. When he turned six, that's exactly what he got. The little boy was so focused, so focused on eating his cake that he didn't even notice this large, giant package in the corner of the living room. Finally, one of the other kids at the party pointed it out to him as he's eating his cake. And Gabriel looked and he ran over and he began to tear off the wrapping. And it wasn't a bicycle or any other item that a little six-year-old boy would want. Inside that package was his dad. It was his dad, Army Specialist Casey Hurls. He was home on leave from the war in Iraq. Gabriel and his father hadn't seen one another for nearly a year. And so when that little boy opened that package, he was abundantly, immeasurably more than anything he could hope or imagine for. You see, when Casey learned that his leave would coincide with his son's birthday, he launched this great plan to offer one whale of a surprise. And he had his friends literally wrap him in a refrigerator box and haul him into his living room. You see, friends, it is not our prayers that mark God's ability, right? He can do far more than we can pray. It's not our dreams and our hopes that mark his ability. He can do things that we can't even dream of. He is not limited by our prayers or our problems not limited by our dreams or even by our meager theories about who he is or how he works. Because God can do anything. And he can do it now. So as we close up, I want to apply this text to this church, to Garden Way Church. We should just think about this for a moment. What if, what if Paul were the pastor at Garden Way Church? What do you think about that? Do you think he would be impressed with what we've done here? Would he look at the building or the campus or our outreach programs or our financial statements and would he say, oh, this is amazing. 
I don't think so. I, I think if Paul were the pastor of this church, I think that every time he lifted his eyes to heaven, he would hear God saying, I can do more in this church than you have asked or thought about. And I think that would lead Paul to pray for God's power and then to step out in a new venture of faith for the Lord. And then when he looked again to heaven, I think he would hear God say, Paul, I can do more. I can do more. And so he would strike out again in some venture of faith and God would say what? I can do more. And each time he would hear that. Paul would stretch himself out of his comfort zone and into the realm of impossibility. No matter what he did, the response of God would always be the same. I can do more, more, more. And so friends, it is in that spirit that we should consider where we are as a congregation. Do you know it was just a a few months ago, back in April, that this local church celebrated or turned 70 years old. Now the church has had three or four different names in those years, been in numerous locations. For the last 40 years or so, it's been in this location as the Garden Way Church. And over that time, thousands of people have come and gone through the doors. Hundreds have been baptized. Dozens of missionaries supported. Many outreach initiatives initiatives launched through the years. The list could go on. But in light of this text, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time patting ourselves on the back for what we think we've accomplished in the past. You see, after 70 years, we haven't even scratched the surface of what God can do in this church in your life because God can always do more. And so we stand at the end of this prayer and we can marvel at its richness, the deep theological values that are outlined here. It's an amazing prayer tied to an amazing promise. It's an impossible prayer made possible because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think. It only waits for us to do what? To pray. God wants us to pray. He invites us to pray. He waits for us to call upon him. He is able to hear us and to answer us if we do our part. God will not fail to do his part in the life of this church, in the life of you, in the life of your family, as you grow in the love of Christ, as you know more about the love of Christ, and as you grab hold, seize the promises God has for you and for us. Let's pray together.